Hello and welcome to Walter Now, Walter Magazine's podcast. I'm Liza Roberts, Editor and General Manager, and we're really excited about our March issue, which should be arriving in your mailbox any day. Joining me in the studio today is Walter's Creative Director, Jessma Reynolds, and our Community Manager, Mimi Montgomery. At Walter, we take our mission very seriously to reflect the diverse and always changing multifaceted city and region that we live in. And this month, our pages are particularly full of all of that. From Tina Kern's profile of Matt McConnell, who's one of the most monumental sculptors working in North Carolina today, to a bunch of middle school girl rockers making their own kind of music, which is a great story by Tracy Davis. We've got a gorgeous photo essay by Nick Peronio of this incredibly unlikely nearby wildcat refuge at the Carolina Tiger Rescue. Um, we've also got a great piece by Samantha Hayden on the cartoonist Paul Friedrich, and he looks like he's on, his, on the cusp of fame far beyond Raleigh as he continues to negotiate a deal with Disney for his latest character. And one of the pieces this month that I found most intriguing was by our own community manager, Mimi Montgomery, about the many kit homes here in Raleigh, which were mostly built in the 1920s, and many of which survive today. I know you had a lot of fun working on that, Mimi. Yes, I really enjoyed this. It was my first story of a house piece that I've written, and it was about historic kit homes here in Raleigh, which was just a really fascinating subject to investigate. So kit homes were a bunch of houses that were sold during the first half of the 20th century by companies like Sears and Montgomery Ward, where customers could flip through a blueprint catalog and pick out a home that they wanted by looking at the prints and have all the necessary supplies shipped to their house to build the house. And... So Raleigh apparently has one of the largest concentrations of kit homes in the southeast. And I'm somewhat of a history nerd, so getting to see all of these homes and look into the back stories behind all of them was really interesting, especially through the lens of history and sociology. Um, they were some of the first homes built by working-class families in the area for enjoyment and aesthetics as opposed to straight-up shelter and utility. And so it was like a really proud, crowding moment for a lot of these families to be able to pick out a nice bungalow with a porch or multiple bedrooms and a full kitchen. And it was really interesting, too, to see the dates during which all these homes were built and how they corresponded to everything that was happening in our country at the time. So a lot of them were built during the 1920s, you know, when the economy was booming and the numbers declined during the Great Depression and World War II when people started moving out of these homes and toward the prefab suburban communities and this age of post-war consumerism and production. Um, and it was great to see how the houses have held up over time as well. And Jessamyn and I went on a really cool walking tour of a bunch of the homes in Raleigh. Yeah, we did. And um, what made this story so interesting visually was to be able to compare how um, the homes look today and show the present-day owners who live in them with the original plans and their accompanying illustrations. And um, what you see is how little these homes have been altered through the years since being put together some 90-some years ago. It's really quite remarkable. Um, we get a glimpse back into the original Sears marketing campaign as well with these um, illustrations from the catalog. Um, and we get to see uh, the plans coupled with some of the catchy slogans that they use to advertise the merits of each kit style. For instance, um, we find out that the Avondale is, quote, praised by many thousands, while the Crescent is billed as having five rooms and a neat porch. The plans are truly delightful and the photos reinforce the charm of these bungalows and how the styles with their sturdy construction have withstood the test of time. And speaking of withstanding the test of time, Mimi writes about an intriguing off-duty activity for game plan this month. Tell us about that, Mimi. Yes. So um, as part of one of the Our Town features for this month for the off-duty section, I interviewed Dr. Philip Griffin, who's an audiologist here in Raleigh at Now Hear This Clinic. 
And in addition to being an audiologist, he also practices Tai Chi in his spare time and is starting to teach Tai Chi classes for seniors with arthritis. Now, believe it or not, I happen to know nothing at all about Tai Chi or audiology, so it was very fascinating to learn all about these two things and how interconnected your hearing is with your sense of balance. So if you can't hear properly, you can get vertigo and your whole inner alignment can be totally out of whack and sort of affect the balance of your body. And so that's why Dr. Griffin teaches Tai Chi, because it helps those with hearing problems reestablish balance and alignment. He's a really interesting guy. He's super dedicated to his profession and to helping his patients out in a variety of ways. Um, and he told me all about the ancient Chinese martial art of Tai Chi, which is in and of itself is a fascinating subject. And he's also a musician, which is really cool and adds to his knowledge about sound and hearing and helps him sort of understand tonality and bond with his patients, everything like that. So he's just a really very interesting guy. And speaking of musicians, we had a really great piece this month about middle school girl rockers that Jessica helped out with. Yeah, this is a great story. Um, Girls Rock, as Liza mentioned, written by Tracy Davis. Um, and it's an example of a story um, that's been in the works for a while, really since last summer to be exact. Um, that's when we decided to cover Durham-based nonprofit Girls Rock, North Car- Girls Rock NC and their week-long summer camps that they host for girls ages 7 to 16. During the week, campers learn to write music, play instruments, and form bands, all in an effort to build self-esteem and confidence. And as so often happens, um, once we got onto this assignment, we started discovering other local girl musical talent that we felt we had to include in the story. We learned about an all-girl middle school rock band called Your Mom, spelled U-R-M-O-M, who has performed at Cat's Cradle and Lincoln Theater, as well as food truck rodeos and civic events. And after playing at the City of Raleigh Street Festival last 4th of July, they got a shout-out from main stage headliners, the Bare Naked Ladies, for their ability to rock. And they truly rock, playing everything from disco-era Bee Gees to newer bands like Audio Slave and the Flaming Lips. And meanwhile, at the other end of this musical spectrum, we included a local bluegrass folk sister duo, the Lang Sisters, who are highly regarded in the Piedmont's traditional music scene and have played the North Carolina Heritage Stage, Arts Pleasure, and the State Fair's Folk Festival. Photographer Scott Sharp shot the Lang Sisters and your mom for us, and Lissa Gottwals photographed the Girls Rock NC Camp, And all the photographs reflect the contagious energy of these young women musicians, and they're full of joy and enthusiasm that comes from being fully engaged in what you love to do. This is a story we love to tell at Walter, and also happens to be the hallmark of our profile this month on cartoonist Paul Friedrich. Liza, tell us more about that. Yeah, he really clearly very much loves to do uh, what he does, and he started that way at a very young age as a child growing up in North Hills. And apparently he doodled and drew all over everything all the time, and his parents really encouraged him, and so did his teachers, although not all of his teachers did. I think he had a teacher or two in there telling him that being a cartoonist was not a real profession and he needed to figure something else out. But he clearly didn't let let that get in his way. Um, And he kept doing it and did it all through college. And actually Samantha Hayden, who wrote the piece, went to school with him, where he had a cartoon in the campus paper that was incredibly popular. Um, and then he had a cartoon here uh, in town when he moved back to Raleigh in the Indy, which was hugely successful. And a lot of people remember him from those days, the onion head monster that he created and his very cool kind of um, subversive Batman character. Um, he was at the Raleigh Times, I don't know, a year ago, if that, doodling on a napkin, having some beers and um, created a character that he with sort of a sardonic kind of mad many dapper looking guy making all these kind of one-liners about drinking and about, you know, just kind of 
women and funny stuff. Anyway, the the server, the the waiter that saw the doodle on the napkin and loved it and said, can I buy that from you? They traded cartoons for beers all night and this man versus liver was born. Um, it became this completely viral hit, and he he tells an interesting story about how they're, they look like very simple drawings, which they do. They look almost like line drawings, but he takes so much time and sort of – I heard him talk about how each one goes through all these iterations to get them just right. They're very dashed off looking, but actually – quite plotted and and a lot of his experience over all the many years that he's been doing this really come into play to be able to make something spare tell such an interesting story so long story short this character takes off disney's now negotiating with him to turn it into a web uh, web cartoon series um they've tweaked it a little bit it's going to be woman versus liver um so he's working on that and it's really exciting it looks like he's probably very much on the cusp of stardom um so it's exciting to get to tell that story before it really, you know, right right at the beginning stages. Um, so, you know, what I've been thinking I really need to do is I need to go pick up that book, Man vs. Liver, um, because I have not yet quite read it through. He's got a lot of his cartoons on his Facebook page. You can see him. But um, I'd love to have the book. And the other book I need to pick up is um, Lee Smith's new book. It's called um, Dr- Dime Store, A Writer's Life, and it's her first memoir. She's written, I think, 13 other books. And uh, they're all been novels. And um, actually, I think there might have been two, two volumes of poetry in there. But uh, Dime Store is a, a memoir. And we are going to be having Lee Smith um, come to our next Walters Book Club event at the Umstead on May the 1st. And I know that's a little ways away. But uh, if you're listening to this, please go buy your ticket right away because they're going to sell out very quickly. They've just gone on sale. And... Um, just to segue into what I said I was going to do this month also, I'm going to get both of those books at Quail Ridge because Quail Ridge is, will have moved, I think, at least by the end of this month to their new location at North Hills. And I'm really excited to see um, what it looks like up there. They're going to have more space. I think they're going to have maybe a sort of more diverse clientele in North Hills. And so I think that might mean that they have, you know, even more interesting books to choose from. I'm excited for their, for their new move. And um, that's my sort of game plan for March. Mimi, how about you? Yeah, well, something I wrote about for Raleigh Now, and I actually just, I really want to check out, it seems super interesting, is the Reality of My Surroundings exhibit at the National Museum at Duke. Um, It's been there for a while, but it's um, going to be at the museum until July 10th. And it's supposed to be a really great collection of photography, video installations, paintings, sculptures, mixed media, all sorts of stuff from African and African-American artists. And um, I spoke with the executive director of the museum, and she told me that their, one of their curators, Trevor Schoenmaker, is, has been really dedicated to acquiring more global art pieces, especially from artists of African descent. And it's something that he's just been really committed to, and he um, has really made some great strides in the museum's collection so far. And so they're working on getting a wider contemporary collection that reflects all the sort of vast cultural perspectives of our current day society. And I happen to really love modern and contemporary art. So I think it'd be a great excuse to get out there to Durham and maybe pop around some other cool local spots. Um, speaking of which, Jesma has a pretty cool game plan in Durham this month as well. Yeah, I'm going back to Durham. Um, I think I'm going to take a trip back over to Chet Miller. Um, it's one of our spotlights this month in Triangle now. And it's a charming and eclectic shop full of wonderful gifts, art, and accessories. Owner Jennings Bryant has a keen eye, and it shows in her stores. She's also a big downtown Durham advocate and has helped create a sense of community there as a positive voice and by putting her money where her mouth is. First, by opening Parker & Otis in 2007, which is a wildly successful gift shop cafe. And now she's opened Chet Miller, which is named for her grandfather. 
Um, and in addition to checking out what's new in her shop, I'm going to try some of Jennings' recommendations that are close by, um, including, she says, Dolly's Vintage is not to be missed for vintage clothing, Letter Bookshop, and the flatbread from Loaf. And then I've got to finish up my trip by stopping by the incredible ramen noodle shop Dashi, um, which happens to be a current obsession of mine right now, that along with my lifelong obsession with college basketball. So I have to mention March Madness as well. That's my other game plan this month is watching a lot of college basketball on television and hoping that my bracket survives the first round this year. (laughs) We have to do one this year of our own, a Walter bracket. (laughs) Um, Well, in a moment, we will uh, speak to Sarah Powers, who runs the Visual Art Exchange in downtown Raleigh. It's a very interesting place. If you haven't been there, you should give it a a visit. Uh, It's an art gallery, and it's also a tremendous resource for the artistic community here in Raleigh. Sarah Powers runs it and has been doing that for a while, and she's a a real voice for artists um, in the triangle. And so I really look forward to having a chance to sit down and talk to her a little bit about what she's up to this month. We are here now at the Visual Art Exchange in downtown Raleigh with Executive Director Sarah Powers. Thank you so much for having us here today. Thank you. Thanks for coming over to visit. It's great to be here as always. Um, The Visual Art Exchange is a really interesting spot. Uh, If you just happen to walk by, I think most people would look in and see what looks like a really compelling contemporary art gallery. Um, But if they scratch the surface a little bit, they quickly learn that it's actually much larger than that. It's actually not a commercial enterprise. It's a nonprofit dedicated to launching and guiding local artists' careers, and it's a really visionary one. Um, the VAE is Raleigh's longest-running private, nonprofit visual arts organization, and you've had some visionary ideas, you specifically, who've been leading it for about a decade now. That's right. Um, you've long had the conviction that Raleigh is the emerging southern capital for arts and culture, and when I first heard that term, I kind of you substituted state in my mind for region. You're not talking about of North Carolina. You're talking about the South. Tell me more about that. Well, I think Raleigh's this city that has a lot of potential in so many ways, and it's a city that um, is at a crossroads to build itself. And I feel like whenever you're making decisions to build something new or create something, you might as well start with the big idea. I think we do that with our programs here. You think, what would be the best thing in the world? And then you figure out what might work. So I always come to anything as, why not be awesome? Why not do the best thing? Why not build that palace? But um, so I think when I came here and saw the growth, and there were cranes everywhere here, and we had come from the Northeast where things were much more set. So to have that energy and momentum where we can be whoever we want, we have Mm -hmm. this rich tradition of art and craft here, and there's a a value to it that was sort of understood, but we didn't, no one would agree that we had to, you know, we didn't need more, didn't have enough. It felt like all this energy was there to to grow and do stuff. So that sort of came out of that idea of, we might as well be great. And we don't have that river, we don't have the mountain. So if you want to gather people and bring them to the city, there's got to be something, um, spectacular and why not focus on our creative community because I think all the the foundation is is there and we have a lot of work to do but that's really getting started so well and it seems like a virtual virtuous circle in many ways um what you do here is as I was saying is launch and nurture artists too and so you're if I'm right you're helping to create the thing that will become the magnet that perpetuates itself right well I'm an artist so being 
an artist and running an arts organization is, is a fun and unusual way to do it. I don't mm-hmm. I have administrative skills because I have to, but really the, it's the physical and the problem solving in the building that's fun. And my staff is like that too. Everyone's much more alive and excited to come to work when we're getting something new put together. When we're maintaining, we're like, well, I guess we could do that. But if something new comes up, we're like, let's do it. Let's stay up till midnight. And I've got this. And, you know, we, that <laughs> energy, and we might as well. We have a choice where we get to do what we want, you know, within, within reason. We have to follow laws and things like that. But we get to create things. We work in an arts organization. So when I started volunteer work with, the Arts Commission, um, and as VAE grew as sort of an advocate voice, um, some, partially through that kind of work with the city and um, learning that everybody wants the arts to do well and that you don't have to just focus on what you can do personally, but you can sort of connect everybody together and build on that. We, we started to just feel like, let's jump, let's keep going and start to connect everything together. Um, yeah. Spark condoms are sort of the biggest physical manifestation of that where one person's idea contributes to a big, big whole. Um, Tell a little about SparkCon. It is an ex- it's really a sight to behold to come downtown while that's underway and see the art being made on the, literally on the sidewalks and everybody with all these booths with incredible creations. You started that, and you, just, you, you thought that it would be a great place, a great way to attract artists from all over the place. Well, I didn't actually start it. I just caused some trouble at the beginning. Um, <laughs> Ali Khalifa and Paul Frederick and Beth Khalifa next door at Design Box, and they were kind of next door back in, um, 10, 11 years ago, too. They had this idea for a non-conference. SparkCon was for Spark Conference, which was mm-hmm. after Richard Florida's book that pegged um, Raleigh as the creative hub of the South and all that ideology uh, was was very exciting for the design community. They wanted to get everyone together because they felt like we've got people here, people are recognizing it, but we don't particularly know what our strengths and weaknesses are. So they had this great conference and planning, and we had a street painting festival that needed life, that needed something fresh. It, it was a cool project, but it was kind of like a school program. It was mostly young artists. We had a handful of um, professional artists, but um, it needed something new um, and Erica Corey and I said, well, let's move it back downtown. Let's move it to the neighborhood. It had been at the um, Progress Energy um, Performing Arts Center on the, the front, and which was a nice spot, but it wasn't, it wasn't our neighborhood. It didn't feel like you were drawing in the street. It wasn't, mm-hmm. wasn't as urban and edgy as we thought it could be. So we got all together with the Design Box folks because they were going to be our neighbors. Right. Um, and from there, we just continue to work together we have all the administrative chops we weren't scared of getting insurance or fundraising mm-hmm. we could talk about it you know answer the phone call because we have that that phone we were sort of the organization um, so it just sort of organically grew together but the reason why we kept it on and actually eventually took it all over as one is because of that idea that one or two people calling all the shots is great in a lot of circumstances but mm-hmm. when you have 80 people deciding what they think is cool, you really get to see a lot of new things. Yeah. And a lot of people wanted those opportunities. So it was a great way for this organization to say, here's an opportunity to do whatever it is mm-hmm. that you want to do. We will sign the insurance papers. We will get grant funding. So there'll be a stage. We'll fill out the forms and talk to the police and make sure everybody's doing reasonably safe work and right. figuring it out. Um, we'll mentor you if you don't really know what you're doing and if you know what you're doing we'll stay out of your way and figure out a 
you know, some way to communicate all this madness. So it kind of took some of that, the hard barriers mm-hmm. out of making something happen. And we love to see when folks a few years later come back and they're like, well, I keep, I'm still doing it. Right. And now I'm getting paid. And or now I've opened, dream. you know, Cirque du Vol as a result yes. or something like yeah, that. Yeah. All these wonderful Things success came stories. Out of it. Yep. Well, so your description of how it all began then points to another remarkable thing about the arts community here is the collaborative nature as so many people here work together in a really selfless way for sort of the greater good of the city. Mm-hmm. Lately, I know you've been working on the Raleigh Arts Plan, yeah. and that is a 10-year plan for the city to grow and nurture arts and culture here. The, I think the city council just passed it. They did. Yeah. So tell us about that. That was, um, it's, it's been something um, we've been working on behind the scenes on the Arts Commission for a few years, the idea of new investments were going to be made in the arts. Public art is something we've really embraced as a community. The, the art centers are doing really well. And how do we take a step back and make sure uh, we, do all, you know, we do the right things? It's a, it's a huge, um, huge undertaking. There's just the, the current uh, amount of art services and programs in the city are big, and they might not all be under the same roof. And Raleigh's a city that really believes in planning. We've got a great planning department. The Parks Department has a planning department incredible talent um so the, they were they were happy to make that investment to to bring in world-class consultants and do this really robust planning process we had um input for more than four thousand citizens we had a, a great program uh, that sort of the consultants brought with them and i think everyone should should take home and steal it's the idea of a community conversation mm-hmm. i think we had over 80 and it's just Anybody could just we get a set of questions. Someone would send a note taker, and you'd have that really safe, easy um, conversation. Mm-hmm. Some of them were open. You know, yeah. I, I had a facilitated one at Design Box next door as part of their like lunch and learn series, and so we didn't know who was coming, um, but it was a great conversation. Or you'd have a, a book club that's been meeting for ten years. Right. What we kinds of things everything. did you hear? Like, what kinds of things surprised you if this was so open that anyone could come in and sort of say, "Here's what I'd like to see from the Raleigh Arts World." What did you hear that surprised you? I don't think I heard any big surprises, but the the high, you know the demand and hierarchy of how they kind of settled out, like that everybody wanted public art. Yeah. Well, of course, everyone I know wants public sure. art, but to see the huge sort of broad community come in and say we all want public art and I and I was very pleasantly surprised that people's definition of what art and creativity is was much bigger than I probably would have expected I would have thought oh we need a gallery and we need a a performance hall but it was bigger people asked for maker space they asked for temporary public art and permanent public art they talked about music and maybe cooking so creativity and the idea that it should be part recognized and part of everybody's daily life Mm -hmm. and that that came out of it as a goal and that everybody really embraced the idea that it isn't about the big keystone something that it was no everyone should have access and it should be equitable and it should be accessible and it should look different in every part of the community. So how will we see this, this arts plan implemented? What, what can people in Raleigh, so we've got a 10-year plan, what, what will be the first thing that is a tangible piece of, you know, that we can see that it's at work? I think the first part um, is, because we got it passed by city council, but the next part is getting it funded. Uh-huh. <laughs> so the first part will be the really, um, I think the, the core of the, the program, this, the, a staff member who maybe coordinates all the community activities. Um, there's a there's some funding for uh, a vehicle that has like a, a sound system and a movie screening so that it's mobile so you can take it 
to any part of town and have a band play or screen a film or that kind of idea to let's start getting communities together and maybe some small grants to neighborhoods to have a an artist laureate. Mm. Do they have a poet or a mm-hmm. musician or a chef in their neighborhood that can do a master class and sort of elevate their art form and sort of remind everyone there's artists probably everywhere in Raleigh? Those things are the first um, first bits that we'll, we'll start seeing. And what's exciting about that is then it's sort of like the second stage of planning because we have you know, public art plan will come out of this mm-hmm. um, as a sort of a separate roll-off. But there are also these problems that we don't particularly know how to solve yet, but as soon as we get reach out a little further, we'll start to get those answers. They'll uh-huh. become a lot more obvious, like how do you market what we want to do? Marketing and fi- helping people figure out what's going on was one of the big so- problems we needed a solution to. So if we start to kind of get out past the usual mm-hmm. suspects, we'll figure out, oh, Snapchat obviously is what everybody <laughs> needs to use. Or, you know, just <laughs> right. it's, it's the eye-opening merge. part of like how do we solve these problems that'll that'll come down. And will you be, try to be part of things like the Moore Square overhaul? I mean, will you try, if, if public art is is, a num- is one of the top priorities, obviously some of the development going on right now needs to, to be, you know, collaboratively involved. Sure. And, you know, Moore Square um, hired an artist right f- pretty yeah. early in the process. So great. They, they got that rolling. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Union Station has some problems to solve, but, you know, the, the architecture firm has an artist as part of their team. Yeah. So we're starting to see that, uh, you know, it's part of it, some like a big sculpture or some some iconic piece, um, but also just how do you ha- have an artist to come in and integrate art into the facility, into the park? Mm-hmm. Maybe it's activities based. Maybe it's something you know in the paving pattern. It, 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 you're starting to see these the different layers of public art. Um, there's a, a little plaza on Fayetteville Street that's had an artist team consult. So, public art is going to come out in all sorts of different um, cool. different ways. But we, uh, the planning process of that will, will you know, anything coming forward, you know, Dick's Park is about to launch into a planning thing. So really um, the plan tries to get someone at the table mm-hmm. in all that process. It's housing, it's parks, it's uh, major planning efforts, big buildings. If an artist is in the room and part of the process, that's when the good stuff really yeah. starts happening. Well, so you mentioned Union Station. Uh, we're just a block or two away from there here in the warehouse district. Mm-hmm. Construction site. Yes, more cranes. And yes. so you mentioned that, you're, that, you, that you yourself are an artist. And when you took over Visual Art Exchange in 2006, is that the right year? Yeah. Yeah. Um, as you say, there were cranes in the sky here. And coming from the Northeast, that felt like such a sign of, of energy and growth. And you painted those cranes. Yeah. A lot of your work at that time was about those cranes and those geometric shapes. And it's true. And now they're back again. And there was a time when they weren't. You know, after 2008, we didn't see a whole lot of cranes right. in the sky. I, did a, I went into sort of a landscape details. Uh-huh. I was focusing on sort of the minutia of a landscape, mailboxes, power lines, things like that. Yeah, my recent work has been more of a, I'm calling it the progress reports. You know, because there's all these sort of construction projects in my life. I live a couple blocks down from a you know union station right now is getting you know torn down that's been fun to watch and being part of in the neighborhood the, pr- the planning process seeing those initial plans and knowing what's happening mm-hmm. we just renovated an old house actually i shouldn't say just we are in the middle of renovating <laughs> <laughs> old. so this idea of um being in the building phase mm-hmm. and not just seeing it that oh there's a crane somebody with someone someone else somewhere is building that and now being in the middle of it is yeah. the sort of next phase of where I am as an artist and kind of what I'm 
absorbing to to put back out there. Interesting. Well, and with not only Union Station, but across the street from it, the Dillon going up, 17-story mixed use, your neighborhood here, which you've already seen completely transform before your Mm -hmm. eyes in the five, six years you've been here, is that the right amount? Yeah. Yeah, we're in our fifth year. Fifth year. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, in the next five years, it's going to, I mean, I think the pace is only going to accelerate. What do you think that will change about the arts community, about what Visual Art Exchange does here and for your own art? Well, I think we'll all have to be, um, we pride ourselves on being pretty nimble. And as this neighborhood becomes a very fancy neighborhood, we'll have to make a decision on whether or not it's still right for us. Um, We are happy here now. We hope to stay as long as we can. But Raleigh is going to be bigger, physically bigger everywhere. Um, And where artists need to be, um, we need to have the things we need, which is space. And we need to be affordable. And we need to have the artists want to be here. And, you know, in five years, this neighborhood will look a lot different. So we'll have to make that call as it goes. It's really exciting to me in the sort of the vortex of all the building and, and you know, our neighbors are great. But this neighborhood's it's changing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so are we. So we'll just have to see where we land. Well, you were very, you were really good sport to fill out our Snapchat questionnaire um, that we sent you for our, for our March issue series of sort of funny, silly questions, and you answered <laughs> um, with good humor. Thank um, you. I was struck by your answer to the question that we asked: How would someone um, describe me if they had to describe me to alien people? Um, you said they'd send a video of me bringing the giant trash cans <laughs> through the gallery, making lots of noise, and narrowly missing the valuables. So, I mean, I read that and I thought, seriously, garbage woman this is this arts you know <laughs> leader and an artist and she she describes herself to aliens as a janitor what's going on to explain that answer. okay so that i was filling this out and i had we have these big rolly trash cans and i the the show current show is very packed and it was sort of this like maze to get through and i was going a million miles an hour because i was excited about something and uh the gallery director was sort of like oh my god i wish i had a video of that like it just <laughs> so you know, I was probably wearing high heels. I was probably wearing a dress. I was taking in and out of the trash. But I believe as as a manager, my sort of managerial style is assess the situation and figure out what is the best job for everyone to do to get the work done. And sometimes it's my big mouth, Raleigh Arts Plan. Sometimes it's um, that the trash needs taken out and the skilled professionals need to do what they need to do. And I could watch them work or I could be the one taking out the trash. So often... <laughs> The janitor, uh, the archiving, I I think the big picture is the goal, but whatever my role in it just has to be where I need to be. And I'm 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 a pretty good janitor. (laughs) I have skills. Lots of hats to Mm -hmm. wear. And as you pointed out, it's a nimble organization, so you embody that too here. Right, right. Well, and, you know, I think being um, an artist um, and running an arts organization, that physicality and climbing ladders and digging through the archives, all that stuff is really fun and mm-hmm. it keeps it keeps the engine going. So happy to, to be part of it. And if, that was, if everyone's going full throttle on a new idea, whatever I need to do to, to support it is what gets done. Well, looking ahead, if you could, for a minute, if everyone's working full throttle and this arts plan's underway and the warehouse district is under construction or even mm-hmm. finished with a lot of the big, big projects, where does Visual Art Exchange at that point? And what does success look like? I think it's that we're right, right there. We're mm-hmm. we're the we're we're, we're we're we know what's going on. We're engaged and involved with uh, the full the full community. You know, the artists have an opportunity to showcase their work where it needs to be. We have um, 
you know, we're listening, we know what they need to learn so we can present information. A good example is our, you know, our ever-evolving business education for artists. It has been lecture series, and we sort of evolved in a conference. And this year we're sort of doing another pivot where uh, Google is available 24-7. So a lot we want to take advantage of all the tools that are available. Maybe there's some online resources, maybe there's a curatorial role, maybe there's some storytelling we can do. But what we have the value in is bringing people together around ideas and getting them inspired. Mm -hmm. You will do your taxes if you've made money, right? So we want to get everybody um, for the year and a couple years coming down is figuring out how we can get people excited to make and build and do and we'll help them with everything else as they go. So not a you know not like groundbreaking, but it's definitely a pivot to sort of how a nonprofit usually thinks. Mm -hmm. Like what's the how do we deliver the series information? We're like, no, let's have a party. Let's have happy hour. Get the artists <laughs> together. And when they Google how to do taxes, we'll say, this is the trust. This is the guy. This is podcast. Right. This is the, let's do that. So we're working on that now. It'll come out with our new, our new website in a couple of months. You'll see lots of new tools. and. I think we need a visual art exchange for journalists. It sounds like you're such a great resource. It's making me envious. <laughs> Oh. That'll be fun. Yeah. <laughs> you guys could have a kind of a support group that meets we here. <laughs> we have a lot of artist-led programs. Journalists are they create things just like anybody I know who's creative. So well, thank you for letting us come and um, barge in on a day when you're taking one down one show and sending off another and bringing in another one um, and letting us come into that bit of chaos um, oh. and have a conversation. Thank Happy you so much you. for Thanks. your time. Thank you, Sarah Powers, for being with us, and thank you all for listening to Walter Now. I'm Liza Roberts the editor and general manager of Walter Magazine. We hope you enjoyed this month's issue, and we'll see you next month.